Generosity is incredibly fun. And this last week, we issued our church a challenge to be generous. And we have heard many, many stories as a result of people being generous. And uh, we've heard uh, people uh, getting together and combining their money, uh, some uh, sending it to uh, maybe an organization that is preventing uh, child abuse and um, domestic violence. I've heard of people giving their money to people that are going on mission trips and uh, one to Ghana, one to Mexico. Uh, there was another one somewhere else. I've heard of people um, combining their money together to uh, help someone in need. Maybe it was a kid in one of our local schools that's either uh, fighting some sort of an illness or maybe it was just they didn't have jeans and shoes and some clothes. I've heard about many random acts of generosity. One guy walks into Dollar General and gives uh, money away. The cashier is crying and the manager's freaked out by it. So he's like, what is going on? Going on. Tells the whole story about being generous and about the church's challenge. And he, he then goes, I've got to give. And so he whips out more money out of his own pocket and gives her an additional $30 as well. And so I've heard people matching. And what's interesting is, is if people matched dollar for dollar what they had gotten and then given away means that there's probably anywhere from fifty to sixty thousand dollars out in our community and county and so we talked about yeah <clears throat> we talked about uh, as a leadership team that whatever it was that we decided to do that it needed to be an extreme uh, sacrifice that it needed to hurt us some uh, that giving um, something that really isn't a sacrifice isn't really giving at all. But when you, it's sacrificial and then it hurts you in some ways to give, that's when you start getting into the root of the heart and the issue. And so uh, we decided a couple of weeks ago what it was, a total amount that we were going to give away. And uh, we gave a large portion of that over to you guys, but we held some back for some other needs. And so a couple of months ago, we issued a challenge to single moms. And uh, we said, whether you're a single mom here or whether you know a single mom, either one of you, you can either recommend people or you could say, I just need some help. And so we had a handful of people come forward. We had a few that said, I need help. And there's a handful that said, this is someone I think we should consider helping. And what I'm proud to say is that for every person who identified a need, we at Stone Point are addressing every one of those issues. But there was one mom... <clears throat> There was one mom that had several things and almost daunting, um, but we decided we're going to do for her what we wish we could do for everyone. And so uh, y'all check out what our church, what you guys and the giving that you do every single week at Stone Point um, has allowed us as a leadership to do. So y'all check out this uh, story. I, I was pretty well lost out there in the world um, and... Uh, Drugs and uh, bad choices pretty much hadn't just about um, done me in. Um, my oldest son's daughter was about to be born, and he pretty much said, Mom, if you don't get your life together, you're not going to be in her life. And so he took me over to the Genesis Center. Um, you know, that's where God changed my heart completely. And he's a God of restoration and he wants a mother and her children together and so we um, still live here in Wills Point. We finally got us a two-bedroom house. We were in a one-bedroom. I work here um, 
during the week, Monday through Friday, and then um, on the weekends I go and uh, I have another job that I work. My truck, I love my truck. You know, that truck is will mean something to me from now on because it was the first vehicle I got after coming out of everything. And, you know, I will keep that truck forever. <laughs> it may be sitting up on blocks in the backyard, but I'll go sit in it every once in a while just to hang out in it because <laughs> that truck means something. Now, it, with, at, through my 12 steps at Regen and through the love that I've received just from the people in Stone Point, I'm accepted and I'm loved. And it doesn't matter what I how I dress or what my hair looks like and they'll love me in my hairnet just like they love me without it. It's not about owning stuff. It, it, it's still about just being joyful about what you have and you know my life is good. I'm busy all the time and, and I wonder you know come Sunday how am I going to make it but God sets me up for the next day and, and you know I, I love my life. A few months ago, we told you about our single moms giveaway, and to tell you the truth, we were a little under-impressed by the response we got, because we only got six responses. And of those six responses, three of them nominated the same single mom. So we want to take you on a little trip now and show you what's become of all of that. team but our church um, has paid your rent for the next year. Oh my gosh no! Okay. And I'm going to give it to him but I want you to see it. So that, that's, a, that's a whole year's worth wow, right there. Okay? Thank you. But beyond that we also know that 
God's done a lot of awesome things in your life. Oh, yes, yes. And so we wanted to do something bigger. And you're like, well, how can we do anything bigger? So <laughs> we got you a new car. Uh, <laughs> no! <laughs> Come on! Come here, Gus. He didn't win me, Dick. Oh, look at Gus in there. What, baby? <laughs> about that. Look at our car. Oh, oh man, this is amazing, <laughs> isn't it? We've got to call into him. We got some working AC. Look, we got yeah, air conditioning. Yeah, working <laughs> AC. Your cheeks aren't going to be near as red, right? are they? Oh, this is amazing. I love you. We're so amazing for coming here. Oh, 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 we love you. Mm -hmm. Grab a hug, Emma. I go, thank you. It's okay, we'll take it. We can take it. I think it's truly just out of me, so. I love it. Oh. I know I can. Everybody suck your tummies in. Can we leave Generosity can be so much fun. It changed our whole week as a leadership team because we longed to not only uh, be a part of it, but um, then when you're in that moment, you just go, there's no other thing that I would ever want our church to be about than this. And um, we just pray that, that God would move us in our hearts. And um, today, I want to close um, this entire series called Be Generous with a, a challenging message. And it's actually coming from a text in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 58. And the reason I want to close with it is because I don't ever want us at Stone Point to fall into the same category that the, that the Jewish people had fallen in. And that was um, a habitual life of worship and not life change. A habitual life of worship, but not life change. And so if you have your Bible, I, you, I encourage you to turn uh, to Isaiah 58. If you don't have a Bible, number one, we'd love to bless you with one as you leave. Go to our resource center and we'll have a volunteer who'd love to give you one. And if you don't have one at all, uh, do that. But also I'll put it for you up on the screen. And I'm going to run through this rather quickly with child dedication, sharing all the stories we got. They limit my time. And so uh, praise God for you, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fast fast and I'm going to go hard. Um, and at the end, we're going to trust that God moves in a mighty way through this text. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Essentially what Isaiah was commissioned to do was go and preach to this people called Israel. The problem was, and earlier in the chapter, God says, Isaiah, I'm going to raise you up. You're going to go preach loudly. You're going to proclaim boldly, and you're going to do it regularly. You're going to do it often, and you need to do it with tenacity and with perseverance. And Isaiah, by the way, everyone you preach to will not listen. Isn't that crazy? That's the life of a pastor sometimes. You preach, you're bold, you proclaim well, and in Isaiah's time, he says, but yet the people will not listen. They will not heed your instruction. They will not turn from their ways. They will not listen to the decrees or the commands of God. And therefore, Isaiah, preach well. 
And according to what we read last week in the parable of the talents, what's awesome is, is that the people don't have to listen for Isaiah to do well in the eyes of God. See, Isaiah was commissioned to what? Preach well. And that's all that he had to do. Pastor, shepherd, lead, and preach well. And if the people don't follow, if their obstinate hearts are in darkness, Isaiah, that's not on you. That's on them. But you preach well. And so he preaches well. And this is what's happening in the day. Verse 2, yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask for me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near to God. The deal is, is the people of Israel were doing religious and habitual things. They were going to the synagogue. They were fasting. They, they were praying. Matter of fact, they were good religious people. They had a great zeal for God. They wanted to do things in the eyes of God that ultimately please him. Yet the problem was, is that other external things in their life weren't pleasing him. And so what they had was a bunch of religious activity. And what I want you to hear, and if there's one thing that I could drive home for you today, and there's one thing I want you to leave with more than anything, is this. Do not confuse religious activity with fruit. Because you are at church, or because you go to a journey group, or because you do a handful of things, because you pray, or you fast, or you go, hey, look at me, does not mean that you have fruit in your life. It means that you're a religious person. It means that you have great zeal, but religious activity oftentimes confuses everybody else because we go, well, God, I, I mean, I was at church. Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, there's going to be a day that many proclaim to him on that last day, Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? Did I? And the Lord says, depart from me for I never knew you. Why does that happen? And the reason why is because there's going to be many that darken the doors of the church. They're very religious. They serve in a capacity, but yet their hearts are far from God. And see, you and I cannot judge by religious activity. What we can judge by is the fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, and 23. The bottom line is, is someone is zealous for God in their in their what worship and in their religious activity, and yet their hearts are far from him, it will be noticeable. Why? Because look what happened. They lacked humility. Write that word down in your Bible if you got it, humility, and you can just circle verses three, four, and five. This is humility or the lack thereof. Why have we fasted and you see not? They go, God, we're fasting, but yet it seems like you don't see it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you will seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Isaiah goes, here's the problem. The problem is, is you, you claim to be zealous for God. Yes, you're fasting, and yet you claim God doesn't see it. Yes, you claim to humble yourself, and yet God takes no knowledge of it. Here's why. It's because all of it is for what? Your own pleasure, and you still oppress your workers. So the idea is you've got great religious activity, and yet every relationship around you is strained. You are not kind, you are not loving, but you are self-seeking. Everything that you do looks more like a product of your own desire rather than God's desire. You, you love what? Filling up your fleshly desires and yet nothing happens that's fruitful. Matter of fact, it reminds me of the problem that the Pharisees had in Matthew chapter 23. Matter of fact, in verse four, it says, they tie up cumbersome loads that they are unwilling to carry themselves. In the NIV, it says, they tie up loads that they are unwilling to carry themselves without moving a finger. 
So the idea is, is I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a religious person. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll, I'll fast. I'll pray. But yet they treat other people with ill contempt. They're rude. They're self-seeking. They're easily angered. They keep lots of record of wrongs. They'll give you something, but they're going to let you know that they gave it to you. That is many, many Christians in this day. Oh, I love God. And yet they tie up a load in which they aren't willing to carry themselves. That was Israel's problem. And verse four, it says, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. He goes, you're praying and you're fasting. And during your prayer and during your fasting, you're actually asking God, hey, God, help me be, be uh, the winner in this argument. Hey, God, help, help me to help them see how wrong they are and how they've wronged me. It even leads to blows with a wicked fist. See, church splits aren't something new. It's happened in Isaiah's day as well. Like he's going, there's problems in the temple. Yes, you're fasting and you're praying, but you're all doing with malicious intent. Matter of fact, you're even praying that your neighbor would see how evil they are and how you think of them. And he says, and fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. He says, you can fast, you can pray, you can go to the temple, you can do whatever you want. You can call your religious activity zeal for God, but he said, you will cry aloud and your voice will not be heard. Ever hear like, you ever feel like I'm praying that God didn't hear me? Ever feel like, man, I'm trying to do everything right, but God's not around? The question is, is can God see something that other people can't see? Can God see something that you can't see? And the answer is yes, because you can fake it till you make it. You can serve, you can be religious, you can go, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible every day. And the bottom line is, is this, you can do all of those things. And if you do not bear fruit, God will not hear you. Why? Because you are not his. And so they're doing everything right, it seems, but yet their hearts are far from God. Why? Because they lack humility. Now you think back over the life of the churches that you've been involved in. You think about the life of the people that you've been around who would title themselves Christians. They have great zeal for God. And aren't they oftentimes the one who believe that everything else is under their subordination? That at some point they have understood the grace of the mighty God so well that they themselves are now a part of the elect and not only the elect, but the elite and everyone else just kind of falls in up under them. And so now they, they dictate other people's lifestyle. Well, I wouldn't do that. Oh, well, that's not who I am. And in some ways we become judgmental, condescending, and then our judgment and our condescending nature leads to bitterness and to anger and to malice and to rage. And it leads to all the things that we claim to love God about. And yet we are judgmental. We feel superior to everyone else. And we believe that somehow God would have to extend grace so much further to all the other peons than what he did us. And that's the problem of Israel. Israel believed who? What? They were God's elect. We are God's people. These, these Gentiles, these Greeks, oh, oh no. Samaritans, understand? And some of the people that I've known in my past that would say, I have great zeal for God are the most rude, most bitter, most angry, most cynical, most unrespectful, and most what? Unwilling people to ever be led toward the gospel. And they call themselves Christians. And church, 
God says, no, that, that's a problem. Why? Uh, because the bottom line is Matthew 23 kind of outlines it. He says, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He goes, you need to look at your life, not just what you're doing ritually, not just habitually through your worship, but look somewhere else. And so write down the words, eyes to see, ears to hear. See, one of the greatest things about this last week is that for the first time in many of your lives, you've put your ear to the ground and you've opened your eyes. Why? Because the money that was entrusted to you, you go, well, it's not my money. I've got to be responsible to it because God entrusted me. Let me explain something to you real quickly. God did not just entrust 30, 50, or hundred dollars to you. He has entrusted every paycheck you've gotten all your life to you. And see, what happens is you play a trick in your mind. You go, well, the church blessing with this, I've got to be responsible and accountable to God. And what you are doing is wrong because the church didn't bless you with it. God did through his church. And see, you didn't bless yourself with it through a paycheck. Your company did through the work of your hands that which God gave you to work with. And see, the, the deal is the reason we do that is not to play some reverse psychology on you. It's to simply help you understand that all things are given by God. All things are subject under his authority, including your resources, time, talent, and treasure. And what does he want? He says, with your time, talent, and treasure, you need to have eyes to see. Look at verse six. Is not this fast that I choose to, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is not uh, it to share the, the bread with hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover them, to not hide yourself from your own flesh? He goes, it's one thing if you pray and you fast, but he says another thing if you pray and fast for the right reasons and then that leads to a lifestyle of generosity. Because what he says is this, he goes, it's one thing if you pray and you fast and yet you believe you're superior to everything, everyone else. It's another thing if you're praying and you're fasting reminds you of your weakness and your flaws and God's grace in the midst of those weaknesses and flaws. That's God's people. You understand? God's people says, God, I am weak, but you are strong. God, I was once blind, but now I see. God, I was once in darkness and yet now I live to walk in light. And God, because of that light and because of your rich mercy in my life, I want to clothe those who are in need. I want to give a home to the homeless and to the poor and the oppressed. I want to feed those who are hungry. I want to do something that's amazing. I want to even love people that are of my own flesh. And you look at that from your own flesh in verse seven, the bottom line is this, we are all born from Adam. And what's interesting, particularly in many of our lives, we believe that God's entrusted to us wealth or in sometimes ethnicity or race or skin color for the entitlement of superiority over other races and ethnic status and social classes. And the bottom line is Psalm 139 answers the question right there. We're fearfully and wonderfully made and we're all made in God's image. And so if there's one thing that I'll stand on and I'll die by, is that there is not one race, one people, one flesh, one humanity that's superior to all. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve a just penalty for who we are. And yet it's by God's grace that he lifts us up in our darkness, out of the muck and the mire. He pulls us up. We don't crawl out of it. He pulls us up. 
We don't somehow lace up our bootstraps and go, oh, hey, I'm becoming the man that God wants me to be. No, 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 no. You were nothing and God made you something. Your life was broken and tattered and shattered and he put the pieces back together. You're not tough and macho. If somebody put a gun to your head and said, do you love Jesus? You'd go, I don't know. But the gospel says, yes, I love Jesus and I'm willing to die for the cause of the gospel. And I do that by giving my life away. See, Jesus didn't say I came to be served, but he said, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, he said, I am here not to seek out my own desires, but to love well in your desires. He didn't come so that what he may gain life. He came that he may lose his life for the sake of you gaining your life. Do you get the concept? That wasn't what they were doing. And so he says, in your fasting, in your spiritual routines, do not neglect the weightier things of justice and love and mercy. Why? Because the things that come out of us are a product of what's within us. Get the concept? And then he says, verse eight, okay? Then you shall see what? Your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Get this. When you exceed humility and eyes to see, you now begin to be a part of God's great riches and blessing. Look at this. He goes, I'm going to put forth in the dawn. I'm going to bring healing. It's going to shoot up speedily. I'm going to bring righteousness. It's going to go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He goes, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. And then he says in verse nine, then you call, you shout out and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour out yourself for the hungry, they satisfy the desires of the afflicted. When you shall, what? Allow your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. He says, when you begin to see God for who he is and the work that he's doing in creation around you, he says, you'll begin to see the blessing of God in your life. When you begin to feed the poor, he goes, I'm going to feed you. When you begin to give your life away, he goes, I'm going to supply all your needs. When I begin to do the things, instead of pointing the finger, as driving through the traffic, giving them the bird. I know that doesn't happen in our church, I know. Instead of speaking malicious wickedness, instead of having to always be right, he goes, die, die. And when you die for my sake, he said, you'll gain your life, right? And he says, that's what it looks like. And what does it mean to gain your life? He says, I'll satisfy and the darkest day will be like gloom at the noonday. What he means is he goes, when you do what God has called you to do, when you live as God has called you to live, he said, your darkest hour will be in the noonday. How dark is it at noon? That is the darkest gloom of the Christian and the believer's life is the noon day. Why? Because Peter says you are a royal priesthood, that you've been called out of darkness into the wonderful light of Jesus Christ, that you are no longer yours. First Corinthians 7 says, or 6, 19, 20, you were bought with a price. You were not your own. Do you understand the concept? The scripture says that while you were yet sinners, uh, Romans 5, 8, that Christ died for you. 
the idea is this. There's a transfer of righteousness. God says, because I loved you so richly and so deeply, and I gave my life for you. He says, I'm going to give you my righteousness, and for your sake, I'm going to take your sin, and I'm going to place it on my son's shoulders, and he will bear your iniquity. And when you do that, man, the darkest the day will be is the noon hour. And then the Lord will guide you continually. He'll satisfy your desire in the scorched places. He'll make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What Doesn't that sound amazing? The Lord will guide you continually. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your, understand, uh, on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Can you imagine what it looks like to make your path straight? Psalm 119 says, well, he's, he's a what? A lamp to your feet and a light into your path. Do you understand? He doesn't just make your path straight, but he goes before you. He protects you. He is indeed Psalm 23. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for that rod and that step bring you comfort. And his desire is to walk you through merely a shadow. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 15 says he has swallowed up death and the sting thereof through his victory. Praise God. Amen. And he goes, your darkest days are over. They've been swallowed up. It's a mere shadow of death. I've won the war. I have protected you on every side. I will shepherd you well, and you will hear my voice, John 10. And he said, and you'll follow me. And he said, and I'll put you in my hand. And he said, in my father's hands greater than mine, nothing will snatch you out, for I and the father are one. Do you understand what that means? And he says, and you'll plant your roots down. First sermon I ever preached, I was 17. That's 18 years ago. I'm sure it was awful, but I've never used this text any other time than that, okay? And so I'm using it today. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 is what it reminds me of. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream, and it does not fear when heat comes. Why? For its leaves remain green, and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cause it to what? Cease and bearing fruit. If you are a believer in Jesus, you don't simply have religious activity. You bear much fruit. People notice. People notice. And he says, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. And that's why Stone Point Church is here. And if you're not committed to that, I need you. I implore you with love. Please move on. Read that verse and tell me why we don't serve in the body and out of the body. Read that verse and ask me why we don't give sacrificially to the body and out of the body. Because you and I in the ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. We will rise up in the foundations of many generations. You will be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. And I see family after family lying this stage today and family after family saying you have repaired the breach you have given us a new chance in our marriage. That's what you're giving to. Not plush salaries and not big homes. You're giving to life change. You're giving to the call of the gospel. You're giving to sacrifice, not religious activity. Not so that we can become great. It has no problem in my life at all if no one ever knows why you give or or what's led you to. It's no problem to me at all if in the Be Generous series, you never told them that Stone Point entrusted money to our care because it wasn't Stone Point, it was God.
And the reason he did it is so that you would be the repairer of a breach. So that you would give to a mom in need, that you would help her put food on the table, you would repair the breach. And for some of us, we're takers. And there's many in this room that we take and we take and we take. And I implore you that if you want to be called a Christian and a believer of light, you would give, give, give. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He gave, gave, and gave. He gave all he had. No plan B, his one and only. Perfect, no spots, no blemish, bloodshed for your sake that you may have life. And in order to experience that, you must lose yours. Give, give, give. Matthew 7 says, to do that, you must build your firm foundation on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. That when the, ro- the waters rise and the wind blow, you will not be knocked down. Why? Because you didn't build your house on sinking sand, but on the solid rock of Jesus. And church, that's all I got to give you is go be the light. And you could sum up humility, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a blessing by simply saying, this is what it looks like to live a generous life. God, I open my arms to you. I clench nothing in my own life because I know that I have nothing worth holding on to. So God, I give myself to you. I open up my hands. I receive you. God, I want you to live in me, make me new, cleanse me, purify me, forgive me because I am a wretched man. And then as you experience his embrace and his love in your life, you don't cling to that. You allow the spirit to live in you and you keep those hands open. You say, and everything I have is something I can give to someone else. I have one gentleman this week and I'm gonna close with this story. He goes, man, I got a lot of drama in my life. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what? Because I, I kind of confuse that. When a man has drama in his life, that's confusing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he goes, I got a lot of drama in my life. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. What he meant was, he says, I'm at odds. There's a lot of things going on in my life. And what he was talking about is God's changed my life. And I'm trying to stay away from those things. I don't want to get pulled back into that. And I looked at him in the eye and I said, well, let me ask you a question. How long is it that you're going to live under the care of God, the good shepherd, before you start looking to other sheep and saying, I can help them too. Because what so many Christians want is God to live in their heart, to get a Bible gateway uh, poem and a little devotion to your email for you to read it and for you to go, my life is good. That's really not the gospel. The gospel never calls you and I to be comfortable. It says, lay your life down. And if you'll do that, you'll gain it. So what Jesus is saying is that I'm a minister of reconciliation. I use my story. I use my hurts, my habits, my hangups. Why? To feed other sheep so that we may all become one in Jesus, pointing the way to the what? The vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. John 15, 5. Jesus, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Do you know what we have to give? Jesus. And you know how you give them best? It's not through your religious devotion. It's through your generosity. You give everything away. Why? Because he gave you everything he had. Understand? Let me pray for you. God, I love you, and I pray that this would challenge us to the core of our beings. And I pray, Lord, that you would love us well as we love others well. That, God, as you have comforted us, I pray we'd give comfort to other people, that we would be ministers of reconciliation, that we would help people see that in Jesus, the darkest hour is the noon day. 
And I pray that we would love people well, that we would serve them well. And Father, for those of us in this room, and I confess, the target of them all, they at times have become bitter and cynical and proud. God, that you would remove my heart of stone. You'd replace it with a heart of flesh. God, help me to love well and serve well and give well. Because the most generous people in the world point people towards you, knowing that we are all, all far from your grace and in need of your mercy. We love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for moms and the special place they have in our hearts. May you richly bless them today as well. In Jesus' name.